get down, let's get down to business. Give you one more night, one more night to get this. Every couple of weeks on a Wednesday morning at this time, we have a business panel, a couple of uh, well-known Wellington business people or people involved in business, and we discuss a few of the local topics, stories, issues. Today, we have been joined by Hospitality New Zealand CEO, Julie White. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. And Shoe Clinic founder and co-owner, Neville McAllister. Good morning, Neville. Morning, Nick. Hey, mate. Good, thank you. Let's start with you, Julie, on this one. This morning we've learnt that a collection of retailers will likely take over the ground floor of the Robert Jones building. Is that the right fix for such an iconic space? Oh, well, look, I suppose we need to keep things uh, into perspective. It's better than empty. And, you know, with the current pressures of the COVID recovery and, and with all of the current issues around labour shortages and so forth, uh, you know, keeping, you know, vibrancy is really important. Um, I'm not really sure long term, but I think definitely the other short term, it is a good solution. Okay. Neville McAllister, you own 19 stores around the country. Do you think this is the right fit for that iconic spot? Uh, well, at, at the moment, Nick, I think really probably people uh, they're looking to get in whatever they can get really at the moment. And I mean, there's not that probably many in retail, you know, new stores opening up. Um, so, I mean, I think whatever works at the moment, I'd have to say. And do you would you suggest that having some un, not uh, unfamiliar but Australian brands? I mean, it's in discussion; it's not been confirmed. But do you think that's uh, a strong enough pull to make that? I mean, huge shopping centre work. Well, we definitely need some strong Australian brands, and, and as Lambton Key and our key shopping areas do to to make it work. We, you know, we, we need key brands that obviously people want to come to the city uh, to, to go to. And that, that obviously works and helps everybody right right across the whole board. Julie, obviously you've got a bit of experience. Uh, you're Australian. Um, do you think <laughs> there is some brands that could work really well in New Zealand that we don't have from Australia? Yeah, I definitely think, um, like it was suggested by Neville, we need a hook for people to come into the city. And, you know, just keeping in mind everyone benefits, and that's what Neville said. So... If you're going to come into the city to you know, go shopping with your friends, you're more likely also to then go and have lunch or a bite to eat or a cup of coffee. So, yeah, absolutely, we need to attract, you know, and this is a real opportunity for Wellington Council, is to attract these new brands. And, and they're only across the ditch. So let's be a really progressive uh, council and let's start working with and, and creating a, a much better vibe back in the city because we're on the edge of becoming a ghost town within the city. And once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, do you reckon it will be easy? Well, nothing's ever easy, right? But I think as long as we're all united and we all want to lean in here, I think it's absolutely possible because, you know, Wellington has, you know, we, we were the most, um, what, the coolest capital in the world. So let's bring that back to life. And you do that through vibrancy, through retail, through hospo, through events. Neville, there's talk uh, and pretty strong talk because we interviewed the Mayor Andy Foster yesterday about it. There's pretty strong talk that congestion charges are going to be on Wellington's radar. 
Do you reckon that will uh, will hurt retail even more, or will it make it more parking and more accessible? Well, we seem to be in a world, Nick, at the moment where everybody just wants to make up a new charge and um, and see if we can sort of hit everybody as hard as we get. And whether that's trying to fund COVID things, I'm not quite sure, but it just seems to be, it doesn't seem to matter at the moment what it is. Like, people just seem to be trying to dream these things up. I mean, if we look at the moment, we don't have congestion in the city because there's not that many people coming in. Um, so we need to, you know, whether it's the public servants, we need to get everybody back at work and get the city working. So... It would seem, you know, very strange at this stage to then be trying to discourage people from coming in um, when we need people to come into the city to make it work anyway. So it, it, it seems a very odd decision. You've got 19 stores nationwide. Would you look at putting stores, instead of going into CBDs, would you look at going out into the suburbs if you thought congestion charges were going to be a, a negative effect on your shops? Um, obviously, you've got to go where the people go. So, I mean, if you were forced, you know, to do that by the decisions getting made, I mean, you know, removing, obviously, the the cars from the city, um, which seems to be getting driven, but not, you know, not supplying any, say, new car parking buildings for people to, say, park on the edge of the city to then go shopping. Um, like, to, just to go and remove everyone coming into the city is obviously going to reduce the numbers, which then... If, if, again, the city does go backwards, well, then you've got no choice but to look at moving. So hopefully, you know, with the right people making the correct decisions, those sort of things would never happen. But, but you, you had no choice but to go, obviously, where, the, where the, you know, your, your customers are. Julia, CEO of New Zealand Hospitality, uh, are you concerned that two of your major cities where their hospitality, num- probably number one and number two in hospitality for you, uh, could have congestion charges and, are pre- and hopefully they're thinking that that would prevent people driving into to get to your places? I'm very concerned about a congestion tax. So, if look, if we take a step back, what are they trying to achieve here? You know, they haven't even got a reliable public transport infrastructure in either city. So we need to actually understand the problem we're trying to solve here. So if they put a congestion tax and they want more people to jump onto public transports, well, we, we haven't got that sorted yet. So you, from a hospitality and a retail, instantly I can see our workforce. It's going to impact our workforce. The people who most need to actually get into work to get a, a job and really the people who um, I suppose they're not targeting who can afford a congestion tax that won't be a deterrent. They'll still drive in. So I, I, my suggestion is, why don't we take a step back? What are we trying to achieve here? Because I think it might be what Neville's suggesting is maybe a revenue-raising you know, project, not so much really trying to solve the problem they're trying to solve. Neville, local government has been calling for more diversity on city council. How important is diversity within business and business leadership? We've seen so much about that lately. Yeah, I think I think it's very important. I mean, you need, you know, um, certainly in ours, you're looking for a wide range of, of, of people of different age groups, um, from different backgrounds, and, and I mean that's obviously how it, it helps it grow. And, and I think obviously at local council level, they you know we seem to have major problems because it seems to be very hard to get anyone to do the job or to stand, um, and there seems to be very little interest from uh, the the general public on, on voting. 
uh, as well. We, I mean, it's, it's in, in an organisation. Obviously, we're you know from us from a different staff perspective. You're looking to employ people from from different backgrounds, different ages. So you know you, you have a lot more diversity over the whole group. Um, one, one that gives you where obviously for your customer base of people, you have have people that, that are, you know can relate to to the people you've got coming in. Um, but also they bring, you know, they'll bring pretty good ideas to the business that that you won't get if, if if you don't look to try and build that within your team. And and would you involve them in that management style if you had, um, you know, I mean, I know that your shoe clinic stores are basically you'd have a lot of athletes because that's what you're trying to portray. But if you had somebody from an ethnic group, would you involve them in in? The sort of way that you you plan things out to make them feel comfortable, their their ethnic group feel comfortable in your shop. Uh, interesting enough, we don't we don't actually target athletes or or employ, um, especially on that. We we'll, we we'll have quite a wide range of people from you know from people um, in, in their in their late fifties who who may go a little bit of a bit of fitness walking or you know or do do very little. Um, you know the the latest woman that that, that we've just employed. Was you know into a bit of fitness back back you know sort of she was in her early fifties early on so so we we don't really uh, sort of judge on their age and, and and or background or even what they've done sporting wise so so all across the board and all of them are very much involved in their ideas I mean whether their ideas would get implemented um, but again we'll certainly discuss all the ideas and 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 take the best ones to to then obviously to try and keep developing and keep growing the business. Uh, Julie White with the hospitality industry. How important is diversity, you know, and, and diversity on city councils? Do we need it? How should we be uh, attracting different people into both working for hospitality and working for councils or central government? Yeah, well, starting with, you know, how important is it? It is so important. And it's really important when we're really looking at productivity and productivity gains. So in the right here now, you know, when we look at productivity, what a diversity board or your local council could improve, we could be looking at doing the same things but better. But more importantly, working towards tomorrow and creating the new tomorrow and that looks like doing better things so I think you know we can become very myopic when we all look the same and we have the same view so it's really important to have this diversity so we can work towards greater productivity and creating the new tomorrows now as far as attracting it is you know we've got a a labour shortage, there's even a global war on talent. So, you know, we need to step up to be able to attract greater capability in councils as well as businesses. Businesses are struggling with this. Yeah. My next question, Neville, is, is leading on and segue nicely by Julia's. National unemployment right now is 3.2%. How hard is it right now for you to recruit in retail? And can you give us any hints of ways that you've done it? Because sticking ads uh, and, and stuff or uh, any other um, agencies doesn't seem to be working. 100%. It, it, it is very difficult uh, at the moment, um, whether it's full-time or part-time. And, and you're certainly right. You can, you can produce, you know, put some ads up and, and, and you may have had 30 or 40 replies um, three or four years ago, and, and you may get two or three now. 
Um, most of the ones, and, and we're just actually employing employed someone a couple of days ago, and, and ours is very much working through our sort of word of mouth, mouth channels and, and through the connections and the people we know. And, and so, so far from, from finding new people, um, that's pretty much how we've probably done the last half a dozen, really. So we've, we've ended up being okay uh, in, in finding people, but, but that's very much working hard through the channels we know to, to do it because they're certainly not out there applying, you know, like they would have been. Julie White from the Hospitality Association. If we had two or three applicants for an ad, we'd be actually dancing, we'd be drinking champagne, wouldn't we? <laughs> Yeah, and that's if they can do the job right. Yeah. Well, that's if they could speak English would start, you know. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, this is our number one issue, similar to another uh, other industries out there. You know, we've now got a shared problem. You know, we've now got, you know, operator problem, community and consumer problem with, you know. So what I'm seeing now is flexibility has become the new carrot in attracting staff. It's, you know, we the government bangs on about paying more. We're actually paying more. But what we're seeing is that flexibility. And what I've noticed is we've gone from the great resignation to the great regret to the great return. And so I think that's actually something that we all should look at, all businesses should look at. But also what's happening in the hospitality sector is, and look, we are a friendly bunch. We we tend to share stock and help out, you know, when we're running low. What we're now doing is actually starting to share staff and and, and create greater um, flexibility for these employees, which is coming across really positive. But that's not a um, a long term solution, right? That's just a survival mode. So you know, we need these borders open. We need greater flexibility in in immigration settings. And apparently that's not coming anytime soon. But, um, yeah, labour shortage is the number one issue for a lot of the uh, sectors. Yeah, Julie, uh, I know you're going to get upset on this one. It's, it's understood the government is going to announce a complete border opening this afternoon. It's expected we are going to be targeted by highly skilled workers. How short are retail and hospitality of staff? And is this going to help in any single way? No, look, um, they've really fallen short and, you know, it's landing on deaf ears, our feedback to them. We actually have a labour shortage crisis going on in hospitality. I do not know one hospitality operator or accommodation operator who who cannot open fully at 100% because of labour shortages. So we actually need access to staff at all levels. You've already touched on our very impressive low unemployment. So the fact of the matter is there's just not enough New Zealanders available to work. So what what do we need to do? We need to actually look offshore and we need supportive and I'm calling for a transition plan in immigration settings as opposed to move straight away to the rebalance. We're still recovering, Nick, from COVID. You know, a lot of our operators have actually accumulated debt during COVID. They were prepared to do it. They're soldiering on. But now, due to the fact they can't operate at 100%, they can't optimise productivity. So they can't start paying that debt off. They can't open seven days a week. Um, So this is, as I said, it's now become a shared problem. It's a shared problem for operators, a shared problem for consumers. The prices are going to go up with inflation and from communities because we can't open as much as we wanted to open. It's a real problem and we need a real solution.
We are also hearing, uh, and personal experience here, of people waiting for eight weeks to get transferred from employment so they can go and work somewhere from overseas people. The, the, the timing of everything is just dreadful. Look, it is. And we have a net outflow, that's the fact. Um, you know, the government came up with an initiative to extend the 18,000 pre-approved uh, working holiday visas to the ones that, who couldn't come here. That that boat has sailed. I got three weeks ago, I got an update from the immigration team. Less than 100 have arrived in New Zealand. We need 30,000 people to work in our industry. It's not even touching the sides. Yeah, I know. You know and, and the settings, and I think they might have it upside down. Like, why should we be paying migrants more at the expense of New Zealanders? Because when you run a business, you have a finite amount of money for your personnel. So well, the reality is, you know, if you're going to have to pay migrants more, and, and the, the truth is they're going to be entry-level roles because they literally need more bodies. So these migrants are going to get paid more at the expense of Kiwis, and it just doesn't sound right. They've got it upside down. I love that one. It's exactly what I've always thought. I thought, why wouldn't they make it that you've got to pay your Kiwis you know, extra more than you pay your foreigners. Wouldn't that make sense? Neville, what are your thoughts on retail? Uh, is it that tough in retail? I know that one of my retail shops I go to uh, are crying every time I walk in there. I try and buy something and they just tell me that they haven't got enough staff. Well, there's staffing issues and, you know, and supply issues. Um, and, and you sort of wonder, you know, even with, with the restrictions, these people are not allowed in when, when we've got tourists coming in from Australia. Like, what what... I'm just not sure what it's actually achieving and what what the point of it is. Like it, it, it just doesn't even seem to to be sensible anymore. Um, I mean, COVID's gone through New Zealand. You know, most people have, have had it, and and everyone's at the stage now where, like it or not, we've just got to get on with life. And and I'm sure it's not going away as the as the common cold or the flu people get every year. I'm sure this is not going away, and it's going to be around for a long time. So. So in the meantime, we're doing an awful lot of damage um, to, to businesses and to the economy that we don't really seem to need to do if we took a different approach. Neville, I've heard uh, from a very reliable source that a very well-known Wellington retailer that was open on Sunday, very well-known retailer, didn't get a single customer walk through their door on a whole, on a whole of a Sunday. Are you hearing stories like that? No, I haven't, I must say. Um, I mean, weekend trade for us has been pretty good. Um, During the week when obviously none of the the public servants were going to work and and, and were working from home, it was certainly a lot quieter. Um, But the weekend has, has, for for us personally, has has been pretty reasonable. Um, And and again, on Monday this week was the first day my my Mojo coffee shop that we go into in the Spark building was absolutely chock-a-block and and probably had, you know, 150 people. Um, We're going back two or three weeks. They'd be lucky if they had 10 or a dozen people, you know, morning coffee time, which which just shows how, how tough it must be for them. Neville, I want to start with you on this one. Air New Zealand's looking to recruit 200 more people. Good luck with that at the moment for its call centres. I felt that call centres should be a thing of the past and we should just that do it all on the internet. How important do you think that human contact on the phone is in business? Um, 
in business, maybe not so much, but certainly I think in a company like Air New Zealand, they definitely need a call centre because I, I, I would use it myself quite a bit. Um, there's always seems to be issues or changes that you need to make that, that you can't do online. Um, and, and again, and, and the way their system works, I mean, if you, if, you know, you'll have some fears where you'll, you'll go to try and change it and it will go, you need to ring us, you can't do that over the internet. So, I mean, if, I guess if those things could be changed, and I think Julie worked for Air New Zealand at one stage, so she probably has a lot more idea than me, but I think a company like Air New Zealand, you certainly do, they certainly do need a call centre um, or, you know, or their web, somehow their website needs to be changed dramatically so that you don't need to be talking to people. Um, and, I mean, in ours, it's certainly not, not applicable and but at all, but um, I, I think in theirs, they, they, I don't think they'd be able to run without it because... I think they get a very high, you know, every time you ring up, there's certainly um, reasonable waiting time and, and, and you need, you know, a, a human being to sort your problems out. You see, I think it is applicable for you, Neville, because I think if you bought a pair of shoes and you went walking in them that afternoon and you didn't quite like them and you think there's a problem and you want to ring you, bring you the back up and talk to somebody and t- t- people are busy on the floor and don't answer the phone, how annoyed are they? So I think it is applicable, but if you actually had on your on your voicemail, email us your inquiry and within 12 hours someone will get back to you, is that good enough? Um, we'd like to think we'd answer the phone, Nick, if you rang. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Julie and I will tell you, at cafes and bars and stuff, it's a bit too damn busy to actually drop drop a plate of food that's going out to a table to, g'day, how you doing? Welcome, yeah. you know? And, and, and we try to take ours uh, out by sort of having our 30-day money-back guarantee, which their customers are made aware of when they buy it, that they can bring it back any time than 30 days. So um, we, we sort of take that probably out where they have to then ring up because they know they've got 30 days to come back and see us. So, so we've tried to tweak it to take all that out at the, at the back end. Okay. Julie, your thoughts on it? Because, you know, our family own a particular place that we don't even have a phone on it. We just, because it's too much of a hassle, you know, we just basically info at the name's place if you want to have an inquiry because we don't want staff actually talking on the phone. We want them serving customers. Yeah, look, I think um, we've got to look at this from the customer. Not all customers um, are technology savvy. So I definitely think we still need this hybrid model and the ability to talk to someone. Uh, I think there's definitely a growing appetite um, with the younger ones, especially around AI and bots. I think the websites are becoming very intuitive. Uh, so I think it's not even the call centre. I think all websites actually need to have that chat box now, uh, especially over COVID that certainly um, grew. But we just have to be very mindful, Nick. The fact of the matter is we have an ageing population and with that demographic still like to connect and talk to to someone. Um, and as Neville suggested, it's sometimes a little bit tricky while they're actually needing to call and contact the business. Neville, next week it's budget day. What do you, as a businessman that employs a lot of people and has 19 stores, what do you want to see from the budget? Well, I'm probably not that great on that sort of thing, uh, Nick, so... Um we're looking, I guess, for the government to get the, you know, to try and obviously get the economy uh, going and, and put money into the right resources that, that, that are going to help that. And, and I'm not quite sure at times whether that's the right thing. So I guess uh, we're looking for a bit of balance across the whole thing where the, 
you know, I don't, I don't think handouts or anything do do anything for anybody. Um, but but certainly setting setting the, the setting things up with the right sort of environment to, to get business to grow and get back on track again. Um, and ha- how they do that, honestly, I'm not I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I'm probably uh, yeah, Julie might have more ideas than me. Okay, Julie, give us your your quick answer on what do you want to see from the government and budget day. I just need to see some more support for small business, you know. Um, you know it, the reality is we we need to get going and we need to operate, but we need some support from the government. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's a focus area that the government needs to be able to, this whole well-being, you know, where is the well-being for business owners? So I really do hope, you know, we were promised with, don't forget when we had the, now it's over 30% minimum wage increase, there was going to be some small business tax breaks. That never came through. Okay. Now, to end the segment, you have both got one of your closest friends in the world visiting. (laughs) It's the first day they arrive. Neville, where would you take them in Wellington and what would you do? Uh, I think we would head, head uh, into my local cafe, actually, out in the uh, where I live out, out in Padanui, called Ground Up for our morning coffee. Um, then we would head into town to see Dave Byrne at Hurricane Jeans, uh, one of the best um, sort of casual fashion stores in Wellington. Um, Dave would be, would be there because he's always at work, so um, you'd always know you're going to get outstanding service from him. And um, and then we'd go to Hippopotamus Restaurant that night. Great, that's a great day out, Julie. Where would you take your best Australian, your bestie, bestie? You got to be kidding, mate! Australian out when they arrive. Yeah, so my best Australian friend who arrives, I would definitely start at Lyle Bay because no matter if it's one of those magnificent, can't beat Wellington on a great day, Lyle Bay is spectacular. And then equally, it's just such an experience when, you know, we have that onshore breeze of 120 kilometres and just, you know, watching the planes and, um, you know, fight to come in. I think Lyle Bay is a definite starter. Then as Neville said, the city, we have one of the most livable cities in, in New Zealand, so definitely have your know, bite to eat and, you know, let's hope the retail sticks around. Um, and then, yeah, I'm with Neville. One of my favourites is is Hippopotamus um, at QT. So, um, yeah, but that's not detracting from... I also like to take the Aussies over to... Uh, over to Eastbourne and Wainui Amata. That's spectacular, that coast, and it's really um, a sight for for the Australians to experience our coast. Hey, thank you both very much for joining me this morning. Uh, Hospitality New Zealand CEO Julie White and Shoe Clinic founder and owner Neville McAllister. Thanks for joining me and thanks for giving us, uh, thanks for giving us your opinions on the business panel. <laughs> 